You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. We've made it, people. We've done it again. We've done it again. Off and running on this Friday, January 31st. We've made it to the weekend. Congratulations to you. Good morning. Welcome in. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. Lots to run through. An hour to run through it all. So, of course, let's roll the number, you know, 1-800-919-ESPN. I am uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, at Gordon Damer. Daily poll question is up for this Friday. And I actually had one that was in mind that was hopefully going to, you were going to make me some money. I like that relationship for the audience. You make me money. But I've decided to go against that because of uh, something that popped up yesterday. So Big Friday edition. Before Golick and Wingo, who are down in Miami, of course, will continue to get you ready for the Super Bowl on Sunday. And that really is all the talk. Mostly because, well, look, it's the Super Bowl. But mostly I'm, I'm looking forward to it just so I don't have to talk about the Knicks anytime in the next 48 hours. That would be, just that alone is very, very nice. But here we are, Super Bowl, what, two days away. Chiefs and Niners, game that uh, if it were to take place in Week 7, Chiefs and Niners, that would be the highlighted game of the week. If it happened in week 10, just because of the style of play as well as how good both teams are, it would be the game of the week. So to get it in the Super Bowl is fantastic. I've gone back and forth, as I have mentioned all week. Initially, I was all about the Chiefs. I think as the week has gone along, I've started to fall more in line with the 49ers. And the reason for that is when you look at Kansas City, it's not really deep to say I'm sure others have said it, but it all starts and ends with Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes is already an MVP, already in the Super Bowl, and because of our love of quarterbacks, the importance of the position, people already wanting to put him in the conversation as one of the greats of all time. I get it. In this day and age of Twitter where everything is on the record, we all got to be first. Because we realize if you're wrong in first, well, you know what? People will kind of forget about that. But if you're right in first, well, oh, my God, you'll tout that till the end. And you have the proof. You have the receipts. Show me the receipts. Well, here's my tweet saying that this guy, I said, in year three, his second year of playing, I knew this guy was going to be the greats of all time. And then if it turns out he's not, delete. And I was talking about this week, great postseason runs statistically by quarterbacks. And if Mahomes has a typical Patrick Mahomes type game, doesn't even have to be out of this world. Doesn't have to be his best game of the postseason, which would be hard considering (laughs) some of the performances he's already put up. But if he just goes out and has a typical Patrick Mahomes type of game, 285 yards. Three touchdown passes. Well, his run this year is going to, statistically, I'm not talking about necessarily the teams he beat or the quarterbacks he beat along the way or anything like that. I'm just talking strict numbers. You would have to put it among the great postseason runs of all time. Now, when you talk about postseason runs for a quarterback statistically, I think it kind of starts and ends with Joe Montana. 1989. Niners beat the Broncos in that Super Bowl 55-10. And that Niner run and Montana's numbers are in a word, as the kids would say, sick. 
as the kids would say, banging. They were banging numbers. Three games, Montana completed 78% of his passes. That is not a misprint. That is not a case of me getting the math wrong. I looked at it several times. He completed 78% of his passes. Now, this is at a time where you could, it's not like now, right? It's 30 years ago. 1989 is 30 years ago. Wow. This was the time where you could breathe on guys. You could hit guys. You could touch guys. He completed 78% of his passes in those three games for 800 yards. He had 11 touchdowns, no interceptions, and a quarterback rating of 146. You don't need to know all the ins and outs of quarterback rating to know 146. That's really good. That would be good in a three-game stretch in the middle of the season. That would be good in a three-game stretch, preseason games included. That's nuts. Or as the kids would say, sick. Mahomes this year, not quite that good. He's only played two games so far, but he's completed 65% of his passes, 65.7. 615 yards, eight touchdowns, no interceptions, and a quarterback rating of 131.5. So it's not there, but it's not far off. It's not crazy. The other ones that you could go through, Drew Brees in 2009 completed 70% of his passes, 732, eight touchdowns, no picks, quarterback rating of 117. Matt Ryan, if he had been able to hold on to that 28-3 lead, maybe he can make the argument. But he didn't. Even Joe Flacco, the year Joe Flacco won, we brought that up when we talked about Eli Manning. You talk about statistical, now his completion percentage, nowhere close, but 1,140 yards, 11 touchdowns, no picks, quarterback rating of 117. So there have been other ones, but Patrick Mahomes, considering what he's done in the explosive nature of the Chiefs' offense, which all starts and ends with him, this game for them is really all about Mahomes. If he is himself, if he performs like Patrick Mahomes does, maybe the Chiefs don't win, but it's hard to see them being out of the game. And with Patrick Mahomes, you're really never out of a game. But if he's not himself, if he's slightly off, if he does have a turnover, it does throw a pick, if he does have a fumble, if the if the pass rush does get to him a little early on, or if the pass rush, the the overwhelming nature of it starts to wear him down as the game goes along, well, then it's really hard to see a way where the Chiefs could win the game. And the beauty of Mahomes is, you'll hear it, well, what's one of the keys to the game? I think getting the early lead is going to be getting one of the keys. Yeah, of course, everybody would like to get a, a, an early lead. Nobody ever says, you know what, let's fall behind by 14 points. Then we'll really make our move. But the beauty of Mahomes is that if they don't get the lead, it doesn't really matter. Or it doesn't matter as much as other teams. Right? 24 nothing, 10 nothing, no problem. Ability to score quickly and often. The Niners, I don't think, have that ability. At least not quite like the Chiefs do. And if you're looking for the positives of the Chiefs, like, they don't necessarily have to have the lead early on. We've seen that, how explosive they are and how it looks like, boy, they're kind of sleepwalking, especially that Titans game. Uh, excuse me, especially that Texans game. They really looked sloppy early on, had some penalties early on, couldn't get things going. And then when they did get things going, well, it was night-night. <laughs> it was night-night very quickly. So I think it's clearly 
the Niners have to play a specific way. Whereas the Chiefs, if they did fall behind early, I don't think it would be as crushing, obviously. So I get the Chiefs' love. And maybe it's me being jaded by my sports fandom. But when I look at Mahomes, I see another guy who burst on the scene, was in the Super Bowl right away, MVP, took the league by storm. And lots of people brought this up. Golik and Wingo certainly did when they had Dan Marino on, uh, was that Tuesday, Wednesday? I think they were down there Wednesday, so it might have been Wednesday. And his career, and let's hope for all of our sakes, for all of our viewing pleasure, that this is not the last time that Patrick Mahomes is in a, stu- a Super Bowl. But the Niners have one job, and it is stop Patrick Mahomes. Now, that's impossible to stop him. I don't think anybody thinks that they're going to stop him. But is it? But it's really hard to envision the Chiefs winning without him playing at least okay. And And the Chiefs, as explosive as their offense is, it is generally that one-headed monster in that it's it, they're going to be throwing the ball. They don't really run the ball that much. They're going to pass the ball, and they, they will be effective at times, I'm sure. I don't think this is going to be a blowout by any stretch. I don't think anybody does. But the, there's really only one way I can see the Chiefs winning. The Niners, I can see them winning in a bunch of ways. Clearly, their their first thing on their to-do list, right, run the ball. If they can be effective running the ball, they're just going to keep running the ball. We've seen that already in the postseason. And they have various guys out of the backfield. Whether uh, I don't know whether or not Tevin Coleman's going to be able to play in this one, but obviously Mostert was the huge in the NFC Championship game. Burrito could be a, a factor in this game as well. But I could see the Niners' defense getting after Mahomes, and as I said, forcing a, a turnover, relentlessly hitting him, maybe wearing him down a little bit, getting a fumble, getting a pick. And on the other side of the ball, I could see Jimmy Garoppolo doing and making enough plays in this game where he is one of the major fo- – I mean, people are making it out like this game is only about Patrick Mahomes. Jimmy Garoppolo is not terrible. Now, he's not Mahomes. And I don't think he's going to fire away downfield over and over. But he can make plays. They have a very smart system. Get the ball out of his hands quickly. And he will take his shots down the field once or twice. But he doesn't need to do that very often. Has not needed to do that really at all in the postseason. And he has weapons in that passing game. So they can pass the ball if they need to. They have done it this year. And I think two things when I look at this game are kind of underrated. A, Garoppolo not really being a focus. And the Chiefs' run defense, which is terrible. Bill Barnwell has an excellent article up and a preview, which, I mean, just gets into every single angle you could possibly want about this Super Bowl. And he talks about how, yeah, the the, the quarterback matchup is what we're going to focus on, right? And especially if you're betting the game. like do, I always talk about if you lose the bet, will you feel good about that bet later on? And if you bet the Niners, you're going to think, and you're wrong, you're going to think back, what was I thinking? It was Mahomes against Garoppolo. What the hell was I doing taking Garoppolo? But he actually points out how the better quarterback generally does not win the Super Bowl, at least not the the way that they performed in that individual season. But he also talks about the Chiefs' run defense. This is from Bill Barnwell's uh, preview. Quote, against most teams, the Chiefs are simply too devastating on offense for their 29th-ranked run defense to matter. 49ers have feasted on those terrible run defenses in 2019. 
scoring 51 points against the 32nd-ranked Panthers, 31 on the 30th-ranked Browns, and 41 on the 28th-ranked Bengals. Furthermore, if you were trying to build a defense for Shanahan to exploit in the passing game, you'd want to build one that was overmatched at the line and at free safety. And that's what he points out about the Chiefs. So that's the reason why, while I started out thinking Mahomes, this is going to be a historic Super Bowl for him. He's the toast of the town, already in the conversation for great quarterbacks of all time. Seems a little bit overblown there. Either way, even if he goes out and does not play well on Sunday, I'm still going to feel the same. I mean, I won't feel good for him losing the Super Bowl, but it's not like I'm going to say, wow, what a flash in the pan. And if he goes out and wins on Sunday, no, I'm not going to put him up against the great quarterbacks of all time, although this postseason run will certainly be there. So I hope it's a good game. I hope it's a close game. I hope it's a high-scoring game. I hope I don't land 2-5 and five in the Super Bowl boxes, which it seems like I do every single year. But at the end of the day, if I have to make a pick, I'm going with the 49ers over the Chiefs in a close one. All right, Gordon Damer Show, 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. We're going to run through some prop bets for you, the ones that uh, I like for Sunday that I've seen. And also uh, the poll question, which is up for today on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. And it is about Tom Brady. I'm battling this cold. I don't know. I can't seem to get past it. Been dealing with this for like two weeks. Is it noticeable? I feel like my voice sounds good though. That's the one thing that it's almost like, eh, I'll take a little silver lining. The voice sounds nice. I feel like I should be doing voiceovers or something. Tom Brady on Twitter yesterday got them buzzing because he tweeted out this photo. Did you see the photo? I'd have to assume you've seen the photo right now. It's like a black and white photo. I guess he's like kind of walking. Off the field, it's kind of tough to see because he's in, like, silhouette. So it's possibly he's walking through the tunnel or out to the field. But it got everybody buzzing. What does it mean? Is he retiring? Is he uh, leaving New England? Maybe it's just he misses playing in the Super Bowl. God, I hope that's it. I hope he comes out and says, you know, what? I just uh, I really feel down because I'm not. Oh, poor baby you. You're not playing in one Super Bowl for, for the first time in forever. The rest of us are celebrating that fact. We can't take it anymore. Enough. Remember the Bills went to like four Super Bowls in a row and it was like, ah, we're back, America. Yeah, you were back. You're going to get blown out again. So maybe he just misses playing in the Super Bowl. Or maybe it doesn't mean anything. Maybe he just tweeted out a photo. Well, those are your four options. That's the poll question. It's up on Twitter at Gordon Damer. I don't think he's retiring. I think he could cross that one off the list right away. And I don't, I can't imagine, I can't imagine that he's tweeting it out because he misses playing in the Super Bowl. I mean, have a, I realize maybe all the avocado ice cream has gone to his brain, but maybe that's because I've mentioned that so often. That doesn't actually sound that bad to me, avocado ice cream. I don't know. But I don't think that it could be that he misses playing in the Super Bowl. You have to have a little bit of situational awareness there, right? So it's either A, uh, well, in this case, it's B, he's leaving the Pats, or D, it means nothing. I guess I would, I, I, it's kind of hard for me to believe it means nothing, but I don't know what it means. I don't think it could be as obvious as he's leaving the Pats, because I don't, at the end of the day, feel like he's leaving New England. All you ever hear, and maybe he will, maybe he's just, he, he's time. it's time to move on, maybe there's some 
fissure in the relationship between him and Belichick that they're ready to move on. But it's not like the Patriots have some other option there that they're going to go into next year with some quarterback. At least not right now. I know there's a lot of guys who are available this offseason, but it doesn't seem like there's some great option for them. You know, if Garoppolo was still sitting behind Brady, and you say, all right, you know, maybe now's the time. All right, man, maybe I could see him moving on from there. But all you ever read about and see, and it would make sense, that Bob Kraft looks at Tom Brady as one of his sons. So it's hard for me to believe, given all that guy has done for the organization, and I get it's a cutthroat business, and maybe there's just not a deal to be made. Maybe Brady wants to leave. I find that hard to believe, too. So I'm not saying that it means nothing, but if I had a vote, I would say whatever it means, I can't believe that it means he's leaving the Pats. Somebody floated the idea that maybe it's just tied into some Super Bowl ad. I think that's more likely. I think that's more likely that on Sunday it's going to have something dopey to do with some Super Bowl ad. That we can't even get through a Super Bowl game without seeing Tom Brady's mug. So there you go. There's the poll question. You can vote on that. At Gordon Damer. The prop bets. Everybody loves a good prop bet, right? And now, especially if you live in Jersey, you get in on some of that action for Sunday. There's a couple of them, and I'm not going to do the the dopey ones like uh, the, the length of the national anthem or the results of the coin toss. The funny thing is, is if you bet on the coin toss, I believe you immediately get a call from 1-800-GAMBLER. Like, that's a sign. Like, you just have money that's just burning a hole in your pocket. (laughs) And um, maybe it's time to talk to somebody. The ones that I saw that I thought were interesting, the one that I really like is Patrick Mahomes' rushing yards. When When I first saw it, I think it was at like 27. It's now up to at least this one. Who is this one by, Brian? The Washington Post has this one as a result. I don't. Uh, the Washington Post is not running a gambling website, right? So I don't know who they're getting their information from. But this one has Patrick Mahomes 30.5 yards. Well, I liked it a lot more at 27, but 30.5, I could definitely see that being one, right? Because the, the Niners are going to get after him, and he has the ability, as we've seen plenty of times, to make a play with his legs. And that one... I feel like there's a there's at least a, a shot. He could get that in one play. So, And they're going to be rushing him consistently. They're going to have the ball a lot. So I think it's going to be a, a real back-and-forth game. So I could absolutely see Patrick Mahomes 30-and-a-half yards, uh, that being one of the overs. The under that I, I, I like, I think, the best out of all the ones that I've seen is George Kittle. George Kittle's over-under for yards is 70-and-a-half. That feels like a lot. I don't know how many games – I have to look at his game log to see how many games he went over 70 and a half. But out, when you're talking about the passing game, I would think that one of the, the the number one thing you want to take away in the passing game is going to be George Kittle. Now, I'm not saying they're going to take him away completely. But I would think that that would be a major focus of the Chiefs' defense to try and slow down Kittle as much as possible. So 70 and a half feels very, very high. And he has been – the larger focus in terms of the tight ends. Like, you have not really seen Kelsey that much. There's been a lot more talk about Kittle. I feel like that one's a little overblown. And then the other one that I feel like um, would be one that I might, might, it would be like if we were doing points like they do on the K-Show, this would be my third one. It would not be the three-point, it would be the one-pointer. Total rushing yards by Damian Williams. I feel like there's been so much talk about the pass, and obviously, right, they're going to throw the ball a ton. 
But and they do they they seem to forget about the run game all the time. But Williams is one of those things that's kind of flying under the radar right now, and I feel like that's a possibility that he could have a not a huge game, but certainly an underrated game because the over under for him is fifty six yards. So fifty six yards for Damian Williams, I feel like that could be an over. So two overs, one under. One eight hundred nine one nine ESPN. One eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. All right, so there you go. Let's get some phone calls in this morning. And we will start things off with uh, Lewis and Whippany. Lewis, what's going on, my man? Hey, how you doing, Gordon? I'm good, man. What's up? Hey, listen, uh, just real quick. Uh, you know, on Wednesday uh, when I went to go watch the Nets play, uh, uh-huh. you know, the crowd was actually um, very good for a Wednesday night. Okay. You know, <laughs> I was telling Brian, considering that was my first ever NBA game. So, uh, you know, I'm officially now a Nets fan. All right. You know, so that's you're, you're, you're the I'm one. Not. Okay, good. Good for you. <laughs> No, I mean, I'm the one out of what, six, seven? <laughs> I think they're up Listen, to like 17 man. now. Okay, that's good. That's good. Listen, man, um, do you think, you think, you know, Richard Sherman has, I'm pretty sure he, he was the one that was saying this. I, I didn't see the actual video. I just heard it over the radio. But his voice, is you can recognize Richard Sherman's voice easily. Yeah. Um, when he was talking to the media and telling him the media that it's essentially the media's fault why we're not really getting an answer to why the Rooney rule is not really working, why, you know, you know, minorities head coaches aren't getting an opportunity because they're not willing to ask the right people the right questions, meaning the owners, the GMs. Like, he even said, like, you guys come to the players and ask us all these questions. Like, um, <clears throat> like we have the answer for them. Like, you guys want to stay on the good side of, the, of you know, the people that actually have the power to do it. I mean, I'm pretty sure, like, you agree with him, right? Like, he's 100% correct on that point, right? Um, Is he 100%? Well, look, it, as I brought up before, it's a very complex issue, and there is no easy solution. Like, a lot of times when there's an issue that has been talked about a lot and it's clearly something that's out there, people seem to be under the impression, well, we just have to do something. But what would you have them do? Like, I think the Rooney rule kind of alternates between being insulting or ineffective, right? Like, it's clear that's not having an impact that the, the league would want. I would just simply say, what's the solution that's the easy solution? There is no easy solution to this. Well, I mean, if you think about it, it's and, and it's the, the, step, the stereotypical thing to do for most uh, head coaches, in general, it goes from high school all the way to, you know, NFL is, you know, uh, black player, linebacker coach, black player, DB coach, you know, wide player, quarterbacks coach, you know, wide player, offensive coordinator. And we all know that when it comes to the NFL, even in college ranks, even, like I say, even in high school, uh, everyone wants an offensive-minded uh, coach. It's rare that you do get those defensive-minded coaches that get an opportunity to be head coaches. I believe that, you know, just kind of like, um, God, I forget his name, the head coach for the Buccaneers right now, um, he's actually, he's actually, has, yes, he actually has the most diverse, uh, head coaching group, but he actually, who is he has, um, God, man, see, and I hate he the fact Todd that I Bowles is his defensive coordinator. Well, that's not saying much. I'm talking about, um, the, 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 the player that used to be the quarterback, the quarterback for the, uh, Jaguars back in the day. Um, God, you know, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're offensive coordinator. There we go. I mean, he is not the best example, but he's. He's doing just enough to like you know give people that he feels have the uh, have the talent to do uh, the job. What I'm saying is like I feel like they should really make it a uh, make it a point to give 
minority coaches the the positions that will allow them to actually prosper in the NFL, meaning an offensive position, you know. I mean, but I, look, Lewis, they are. I mean, they are. I mean, I don't know what you really can do about. It. I mean, Eric Bieniemy is the one example that you're going to point to right now, and I get the frustration because there have been plenty of examples of other, you know, like guys who are in Eric Bieniemy's situation, like the criticism of Eric Bieniemy. If there is one, well, yes, he's running. He, he's he's the offensive coordinator with the Chiefs, but he's not pl- calling plays. But other guys who have gotten jobs, uh, Matt Nagy, he was not. Uh, he was the same position, was not calling plays. Um, Doug Peterson, I believe, was in the same position, not calling plays, and they got jobs. And Eric Bieniemy has not. Look, there. I don't think that there is some quick fix, some easy po- uh, solution. And people make it out like because we've talked about this repeatedly. That there is some easy fix. The underrated thing when you focus on teams that have not hired the enemy is that a lot of times, and this is easy to see, those teams don't know what they're doing. There's a lot of reason why it's the same teams a lot of times that are looking for head coaches every couple of years. The Dolphins, the Browns, the Jets, the Giants recently. So, and even the teams that do have an idea, nobody actually has an idea how these hirings will work out. Like I heard driving in Sal Palantonio talking about Doug Peterson with the Eagles, same job with, with Andy Reid, didn't call plays. He goes to Philadelphia, wins a Super Bowl. That should bode well for Eric Bieniemy. The problem with that was that hiring by Peterson was largely crushed at the time. I mean, Michael Lombardi called the Peterson hiring. I'm not sure if he said it was the least prepared coach, head coach ever or the least prepared head coach recently. Either way, there was a lot of criticism. Why would you ever give that that job to Doug Peterson? And even for the Eagles, Peterson was not their first choice. Their first choice was Ben McAdoo. So it's not clear cut. I think the best thing going for Eric Bieniemy and for Richard Sherman, his comments about here. Here's what Richard Sherman had to say about it here. I say I'm a black player, and I say I've raised my voice about it as loud as I can, you know, and, and, and say it as much as I can. I've, I spoke about it at Media Day, which is one of the biggest um, days you can say it, but I put more of the responsibility on you, on the media, because you, you're asking people who have no say in it. You're asking players, you know what I mean? We have, literally have no say in who gets hired, who gets fired. We have no say in wh- whether we get hired or fired. But the people who have say, we don't pressure the owners, we don't, we don't call, we don't, we don't push to get them. We don't. When when you have them in the meeting, nobody asks them the hard questions because you don't want to, you don't want to rub them the wrong way. You don't want to get on their bad side. So, so I almost, I almost say it's your fault that we 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 don't we don't have those answers because no, none of you guys are asking the hard questions. Everybody feels comfortable asking a player a hard question about, man, why aren't these black coaches getting jobs? Ask the dudes who hire. You know, ask the dudes who have have all the power in the world to hire and fire these men. Then you'll get the answers. Uh, or maybe we, we're not looking for the answers from those dudes because we, we kind of know what they are. All right. Well, look, I mean, his idea that it's the media's fault, I think, is, is silly. And the idea that the media is not bringing this up is also silly. I mean, the media is the one who's constantly bringing this up. Now, the problem is, is that most media members, I would say all media members, don't have – it's not like you're interviewing the owner every week, like you're interviewing the players every week, like you're interviewing coaches every week. So that's part of the the dynamic there. But no, the media has brought this up, continues to bring this up, and that's the best thing I think has, that uh, that um, Eric Bieniemy or any black coach who's in line to to get a job would have going for them. And I would say for Eric Bieniemy's case, 
Now, this is not going to make him feel any better because I'm sure it's just it's, – it's, it's scoreboard, right? I don't have a head coaching job and I want a head coaching job and I've interviewed for all these head coaching jobs and I have not gotten one. But for, for himself, for his career, and I would think for the, the cause of black coaches finally getting that opportunity is that he has success. He's put in a position to get success. So the fact that he has been passed over by the Browns and the Jets, and I'm not sure who else he has interviewed with, I think that the key for him is to not just take any job, but to get a job where he can actually succeed. Because there's a lot of these jobs, it doesn't matter who you hire. And it's clear these teams don't know who to hire. That it's better off for him in the long run that if it takes an extra year, and it's clearly going to take it, he could have... I think the last couple of years, maybe it takes an extra couple of years that when he finally does get his shot, it's with a win- a, a better organization than some of the ones that are constantly looking for coaches year in and year out. From the 10, probably the final play of the game in regulation. It is caught by Dyson. Can he get in? No, he cannot. Mike Jones made the tackle, and the Rams have won the Super Bowl. No line. The game is over. The game is over. All right, so there you go. On this date, what was that, 2000? Wow. Already 20 years since the Rams beat the Titans in the Super Bowl. You kind of forget that the Titans were in the Super Bowl. But there you go. Hey, it's the biggest heavyweight title fight in decades as world champion Deontay Wilder faces lineal champ Tyson Fury live from Las Vegas. The two undefeated heavy hitters square off for the second time in the most anticipated rematch in recent heavyweight history. Saturday, February 22nd, 9 p.m., live on pay-per-view. All right, so uh, we've been talking about the Super Bowl. If you want to get in on that, you want to get in on some prop bets. I was looking at some of the other ones. I, I, I don't know, man. I feel like this is um, a sign that you just... You want to throw your money away. I did. I was kind of interested. Total touchdown passes by Patrick Mahomes. The over-under is two and a half. I'll tell you right now, if Patrick Mahomes is not throwing three touchdown passes, it kind of feels hard for the Chiefs. They don't really run the ball that often. I think that Damian Williams could have a a sneaky good game, but they don't really run the ball. and, And if things are going well, they don't run the ball. I mean, they forget to run the ball all the time. Maybe late they will. But, and I'm sure, I'm sure Kyle Shanahan won't, <laughs> won't run into that same mistake again. But they don't really run the ball all that effectively and don't really try to. It's not that they don't run it effectively. They just don't do it. They don't try. So if, if Patrick Mahomes is not throwing for three touchdowns in this game, now the yardage is a little high, 300 yards, but you could see a game where he, he throws for, you know, 220 and three touchdowns. But if he's not throwing for more than two and a half touchdowns, boy, I think they're a little bit trouble. All right, let's go back to the phones. one 919 espn one 919 I was just going to touch on the, the Mookie Betts thing. The Dodgers apparently now are the uh, front runners. And it certainly seems like something could happen with that before even spring training. I would think that they're going to do something, it seems like, so- something sooner rather than later. And you just think about what that Dodger lineup would look like at the top, especially with Mookie Betts at the top. Oh, my gosh. That is some lineup. And 
we know that just because you have a good lineup doesn't you can't guarantee yourself a World Series. But you have that kind of lineup, you can pretty much guarantee yourself a playoff spot. Injuries always can play a factor, I guess. But if they get Mookie Betts and add that to to Muncie and Bellinger and Seager and Turner and all those other guys, ooh, <laughs> don't like as a Yankee fan who's uh, has dreams of the World Series dancing in his head. I don't like the idea of that. Now I wouldn't you wouldn't have to worry about it until then, but don't like that. The Padres, that's the team. The Pod, send them to the Padres. They've got all these prospects. I'm sure they've been bad forever. Send them there. That's the place to be. And who wouldn't love to love live in San Diego? 75 every day, sunny. It's a gorgeous life. All right, let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-ESPN. Chris is in Queens. Chris. Good morning, Gordon. What's up, man? All right, so I was just listening to the Richard Sherman stuff, and I feel like this is a two-part thing. One, I got a ton of respect for Sherman on the field. He's been successful. You know, he seems to be very consistent. I mean, that I like. But I do I do kind of agree with him here in regard to who the media is talking to about these hard-nosed, like, cultural diverse questions. Like, the players really don't have a say in that. No, I, I, mean, I, know I agree wants with to, Everybody wants a comment from them, but, like, what's going on in these systems where are they being, you know, how are they coming through systems? How are they learning the process? Are there opportunities? I really agree with them. Well, I mean, look, if, if I don't get the sense that players are being repeatedly asked about it. I mean, he's going to be asked about it I mean, because it he's obviously he's a black a player who's an outspoken person. So you're gonna he's going to give you a more thought-provoking answer. So he's going to probably be asked about it a lot. But I don't think that necessarily the, the average black player is being asked about this on a week-in and week-out basis. I could be wrong. I just don't know what the solution is, and I really have more of a problem with him saying, well, you know, this is the media's job. The media is the one who's, who is talking about it. I mean, who else would be talking well, about it? I feel like when he's pointing at the media, it's more of like people who are more in control of that hiring process. I feel like that's the way I interpreted that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but at the same time, uh, to be devil's advocate, you also have to have the right credential and the resume to get hired. So I see it both ways. Uh-huh. Well, look, and I, I, I agree with you, Chris. Like, uh, not to pick on Joe Judge, but you know, Joe Judge's resume. There's not. I, I can't think of a black coach who had a resume similar to that who got that opportunity Understood. at that stage, right? Like, you know, there, yeah. it's usually the, the, it's very hard to find that person. And and, and, look, and maybe, maybe Joe Judge came in and he was. The, but it just, I can understand the frustration of being like, this guy is getting the opportunity, and here's Eric Bieniemy running the Kansas City, not that he's calling the plays, but he's running the Kansas City offense. There's been more than enough examples of successful head coaches in that position that he now has. So I can understand the frustration. I just don't know what the easy answer is. But the funny thing is with the reaction to judges, outside of someone being a head coach in the NFL, nobody's watching the secondary coach or the linebacker coach or besides like an offensive or defensive coordinator. Nobody knows what those people have done for 10, 15 years. You know, and, and honestly, maybe the demographic of coaching, maybe, maybe black coaches just aren't going into the field. I mean, can't, isn't, could it be as simple as that? Uh, I, you know, Chris, I, I'd, be, I'd be speaking out of my rear end if I really told you. I mean, there's more than enough examples of black coaches, and, and certainly more now than there were. Um, I'd have to, you know, look at numbers to, to verify that for sure, but I think that that would be clearly the case. I, I think you have to kind of look at it in, in individual examples. And the reason why Eric Bieniemy's name comes up so often is because it, it, it seems like such a clear-cut case, right? Here's a guy in the same position as other coaches who have gone on and not only got an opportunities but have been successful. 
It would be one thing if 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 Matt Nagy or uh, Doug Peterson got jobs and they were fired right away. All right, well, you know what? The guys who had those positions before, they looked great when they were running the Kansas City offense, but then they went and got their own shot and and they didn't do anything with it. That would be that would be one thing. But those guys have been successful, and Bienemy's name has been out there for a couple of years now. So I don't know necessarily that it's a wide – that you can look at that one example or that I'm looking at that one example and saying this is the case all over the place. But it definitely is with him uh, one that that is that it kind of scratches your head. Now, the thing that I would point to is that a lot of the teams that are doing the hiring, they're doing the hiring a lot because they don't know what they're doing. And that's another thing that kind of uh, – that I saw uh, Elliot Wolf, uh, not Elliot Wolf, uh, Ron Wolf, Elliot Wolf's dad – came out and kind of blasted the Cleveland Browns uh, from Chris Mortensen. That the Browns and other teams who embrace the analytics-driven model are quote-unquote out of control. Wolf, when something goes wrong, who takes responsibility? Their answer, well, that's what the data told us. What a crock. That's what got them 1-31. in Well, I do feel like there are examples of organizations that, you know, try to rely on the numbers to deflect the blame. I'm sure that happens, right? These these organizations, these jobs, these lofty positions, very hard to get, very hard to hold on to, especially in the NFL. And I would think if you're part of any organization, there's a good part of it that's cover your own rear end. I would think that his criticism of the Browns, though, that's just a better indication that the Browns have no idea what they're doing rather than... Well, you know, they really screwed up by relying on the numbers. No, they screw up everything. So just to, to point that out as an indication that the you shouldn't be relying on the numbers. There's plenty of organizations that do know what they're doing, the Eagles among them, who do rely on the numbers and that and they make good decisions because they know what they're doing. They know how to take that information and actually institute it to their benefit. The Browns, I mean, they could they could get rid of all the analytics and they'd still be screwing things up. So I think that that's, that's one of the things that like does not get brought up enough is like, yeah, well, all these teams, they, they keep hiring. Yeah, a lot of the teams, they don't know what they're doing. And just hiring coaches, it's a very inexact science. Doug Peterson's a perfect example. When he got hired, he got crushed. And even for the Eagles, that was not their first choice. Their first choice was Ben McAdoo. So sometimes these things kind of – and that's an organization that I think that most people would point to and say they know what they're doing. They're doing it the right way. And they could have been and, – and who knows? Maybe if Ben McAdoo went there, we'd have a different feeling about him. It's very inexact. Samuel's in Brooklyn. Samuel, what's going on, man? Hi, good morning. Um, you know, listening to the conversation all about coaching, and I, I completely agree that, you know, you have some of these teams that are completely, you know, messing up their constant uh, coaching search every single time. But I want to touch on free agency. You know, a lot of times, like I'm a Jets fan, we don't get the free agents that we want. Because why would a team come? Why would a player come to the Jets? And at the same time, why would a player, you know, who got drafted by the Jets, stay with the Jets? For example, you know, everyone's talking about Jamal Adams now. Why don't? Why doesn't the NFL take, you know, make a rule, something about the cap, where if you drafted a player, you know, you should be able to retain the player, you know, with a less with a lesser cap hit. You know, it would stink if we lose Jamal Adams now. You know, if you know Sam Darnold goes, you know. Speaking of the Browns, Baker Mayfield or Nick Chubb, you know, when they hit free agency, they're like, you know, I don't want to stay here. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about, you know, when the time comes for all these players that hit free agency on a, you know, team that wouldn't necessarily be able to retain their players about changing that capital. 
Uh, well, look, I mean, the good organizations know who's important to keep and who's important not to keep. Now, I realize they didn't make the, the, the playoffs this year, but the Steelers, I think, are a good example. They realized when they were going through the thing with Livion Bell, who is one of the better backs in football and at the time was one of the best backs in football, and maybe he still is. Uh, he obviously had a, a down year based on what his previous performance was this year. They realized, well, you know what? Look, as great as Livion Bell is, that's not really a position that we're going to invest in heavily. So they kept kind of putting off the decision, didn't want to give him a long-term contract. And how many times – I mean, you look at the good organizations that, that, that know what they're doing and are good year in and year out. They know what positions and what players are difference makers, and they know which guys they can figure out a way around. I mean, the, the Patriots have done that a thousand – they're constantly getting rid of guys before, you know, you think, oh, well, how are they going to do it without that guy? And then they find somebody else, they bring him in and – I mean, between receivers or, or, or defensive players, I mean, those teams know what they're doing. So it, the, the free agency, more times than not, teams, if you're, if you're investing big money in free agency, yes, there are success stories. But more times than not, if you're looking to build your team uh, with big free agent signings, more times than not, it's going to be a mistake. And the Jets are a perfect example. Last year, they went out and got – you know, on the the first or second day of free agency, the Jets were the toast of the town. Le'Veon Bell, C.J. Mosley, oh my goodness. And uh, those moves did not work out. And the teams that let those players go doesn't really seem like they missed them at all. And they are good players. There's no question about that. Oh, we've made it, people. We've made it to almost the cusp of the Super Bowl. The two weeks almost done. couple of days until Super Bowl 54, the Chiefs. And, of course, the 49ers getting set to face off down in Miami, a place where they just worry about hosting Super Bowls, not exactly necessarily playing in them. That drives me nuts. Every article I see about the Dolphins, oh, it's great to have the Super Bowl back. Hey, guys, would you like to play in one? You know, you realize you also have a team. If you did that, that would really be something. Like, if you want to talk to the fans about ho- – the fans don't care about you hosting a Super Bowl. No fan should ever care about their team hosting a Super Bowl. You'd like your team to be able to play in one. And maybe that is maybe indirectly impacting me thinking about the 49ers. And in case you're just joining us on this Friday morning, I think that the Niners are going to win, although I do think it's going to be a close game. And it's not like I feel overwhelmed. I mean, the line itself, a point and a half, right? So I know I'm supposed to come on here. It's definitely going to be the 49ers for this reason and that reason. I've gone back and forth with it. And maybe it is because of the two weeks, right? Like you have one feeling and then you listen to this person, you listen to that person, and it goes round and round in your head. And maybe you're overthinking it. Maybe that's what I'm doing by going by the 49ers. But I do think that they're going to win in part because I think that they can win in a, in a variety of ways. Like if the Chiefs win this game, it's really hard to envision someone outside of Patrick Mahomes being the MVP, right? Like they are going to be throwing the ball all over the place Big plays, big passing plays, this guy, that guy getting involved, Kelsey or or whoever, right? It's not really going to be that they're going to control the clock. It's not going to be because they're running the ball. They can make some plays on defense, but you don't really look at them, especially their run defense as being able to shut down the other team. Not that that necessarily is the most important thing, but in this matchup, I think it kind of is. So I think that the, the, the Niners can win in a variety of ways where I don't feel like the Chiefs can. Now, the thing that the Chiefs do 
is as good as anybody has in football, right? Their passing game is electric. Mahomes is already people talking about one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Win on Sunday, I think. Uh, lose, I think people <laughs> might, might want to say, oh, you know what, we, maybe we were over-evaluating that. But it feels like the Niners can win in a variety of ways. They could win with defense. I could see them winning a game where they get a big sack or a big fumble or a big turnover. I could see them obviously winning the ball, uh, winning the game by controlling the clock and running the ball as they do so effectively. And while all the talk has been about Patrick Mahomes, I could see Jimmy Garoppolo going out on Sunday and making plays. Now, maybe not to the extent that Mahomes is going to do because he is so electric. But Garoppolo can move around. He can make plays with his legs. He can certainly get get the ball out quickly. And he can make plays downfield. And he has weapons. This is not the typical matchup where it's one great quarterback against the guy who's just, you know, okay. And even the numbers of the great quarterback, the better quarterback in the Super Bowl, as we kind of brought up in the Bill Barnwell article, you go through it. More times than not, the team that does not have the better quarterback actually ends up winning the game. And I think that that kind of plays into my thinking here. But maybe subconsciously, it's also the fact that the Niners, if you're a fan of a team that's nowhere close right now, the style that they play, is it's easier to envision your team also doing that, right? They're diverse on offense. It seems like a more attainable goal. They don't have this legendary superstar quarterback in year two where already people are talking about him being the best of all time. They play defense. They sack. They get sacks. They get after the quarterback. So that seems maybe more attainable than just having this great quarterback who's just lighting up the league. It's very hard to find that. All right, it's going to do it for us for today. We're already out of time. Please vote on the poll question. It's up on Twitter. We will see you tomorrow at 7, 98.7 FM, ESPN, New York. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.